Father, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit will minister to us. Get hold of this message. Breathe into it. Make it alive and let it dwell among your people. Bring transformation and lasting change. Let your people look back and say, surely the Lord was with us. I know even in this preaching today, you will heal the sick. As your word comes forth, you will heal the brokenhearted. Those that are wounded, you will bind them. You bring a revival to us. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children say amen. Amen. Are you happy to be in the house of God? All right, good. So let's get to the passage that um, we read that says that um, uh, Genesis 4 verse 1, it says that um, And Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And of course, late, um, we'll see the next verse. So, you know, when you look at that passage, something is very clear. And of course, um, that um, there was a promise, and I want to take you back a little bit. There was a promise that had been given by God to, uh, to Eve. And, and, and this promise was that um, the seed of a woman you know, is going to crush the head of a serpent... And of course, the, the, the seed of a serpent is going to bruise the heel of the seed of a woman. Now, when the time came that Eve gave birth to Cain, if you listen to the message that Eve is bringing forth, it is as if that promise had been fulfilled. There is that imagination, there is that thought, there is that thing that comes forward where Eve says that I have brought forth a man. And remember, he had been told that the seed of a woman, so there is that hope that maybe this could be the promise that was given. But the sad story is that this is not the truth because the fulfillment of God's promise was not in any way going to happen through a fallen man. And then the Bible says, and Eve also gave birth to Abel. Obviously, there is no mention in that passage whether Eve had a second conception. And quite a number of times, theologians for some reason want to believe that Cain and Abel were twins. It is not explicitly explained in that passage, but then that is the assumption because quite often in the Bible when you see um, you know, the, 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 the conception and birth given, it says then so and so you know, saw the wife and then they conceived and gave birth. But in this case, it's only mentioned once and then soon after that, it is reported that uh, and again, um, Eve gave birth to another son. It could imply, of course, that the, the, the birth was 
as a result of a second conception, but it's not clear. You were not there, was not there, so we don't know. We can only, you know, imagine. But another thing that you need to know is that maybe it's not reported because it was not necessary. Because maybe God wasn't trying to communicate anything, and therefore that was not reported. But I want you to see what the Bible says, that um, later, of course, she gave birth to the brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked on the soil. Now, that verse, which is verse 2, it brings in an idea that is very strong, that each one of these sons had an assignment. There is none of them who did not have something to do. It is very clear that Abel was um, uh, uh, keeping the flock, but Cain was, you know, a tiller of the ground. And that brings us to an understanding that in the house, whether it's a house of God or in your house, each one of us has been given something to do. There is not even one person that has not been given an opportunity to accomplish something on the face of the earth. The only challenge we have, it is the failure to identify what God has given us to do. Because you have listened to these many people quoting that the greatest tragedy in the human life is failure to discover the purpose for which you were created. So for you to be here today and to operate as a church, as a believer, or even as a member of your household, and you do not discover what you were created to do, that is a great tragedy. Amen. Because the Bible says that one of them was a shepherd of the flock, the other one was a till of the ground, was a farmer. Then the Bible says in verse 3 that in the process of time, in verse 3, the Bible says that in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Meaning that even when each one of us is given an assignment or something to do as a child of God, there will come a time that you need to present yourself before God. There will come a time in due season I don't know how long it will take. But with the assignment and with whatever you are doing, whether it's your gifting, whether it's your talent, and anything that you have put your hands to do, there will come a time you will appear before God. So a time comes that all of us in everything that we do, there comes a time of offering a sacrifice before God. God will make it possible that you have an opportunity to appear before him. It is not just one person that will be given an opportunity to appear before God. It is all of us. So the Bible says, in the course of time, in the course of time, at the appointed time of God, at the opportune time, it happened that each one of them had to present something before God. So whatever God has given you, listen to me, child of God, whatever you have been putting your investment in, whatever you have put your energy in, whatever you have been working on that has been given to you by God, there will come a time. They will present an opportunity 
that you will appear before your maker. The time is coming. But one of the things that I want you to know is this. That the assignment given to each one of us is different. Each one of them was given a different assignment. But the problem we have in the face of the earth today is that we all tend to covet other people's talents and giftings. As though we don't have our own. But the Bible says very well, there is this opportunity, there is this thing that happens that each one of them has something to do. So even as I speak today, I want you to keep asking yourself, what is that thing that I was created to do? What is that assignment, that one single most assignment that I would give an account for? Are you following me? Because we can stand here and try to present something that we are borrowed from other people. And yet we are neglecting that special assignment that we were given. So there comes a time. The Bible says, And Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain became angry, and his face was downcast. A time of sacrifice came, and each one of them was given an equal opportunity to offer a sacrifice to God. Each one of them. Each one of them. And God is saying that I had appointed you as a steward over my properties. Meaning that you did not even own that farm that you have. You do not own that kind of, uh, you know, the animals and everything. What is happening is that everything that you have, it belongs to me. The only thing that is happening here is that I have privileged you to take care of it. Child of God, have you ever known that everything that you see, you touch, you think you own, it does not belong to you, it belongs to God. Because he owns the whole world. The only difference is that you and me are privileged stewards of God's property. You missed that. I say that you and me are privileged stewards of God's property. But let me tell you, not even you yourself, you belong to yourself. Even you, you belong to God. And therefore, there comes a time that he demands what belongs to him. He says, come and present to me. Do you know what happens? We have this opportunity to offer sacrifice. Equal chance. And one of them goes around and looks at, you know, whatever fruits, whatever is left over. And he presents it to God. 
But deep in his heart, he knows that is not the best. He knows he has not given the best to his maker. But he offers it simply because nobody can see it. Nobody understands it. And therefore would give anything and everything to God. So he gives it to God. The Bible says the opportunity came for Abel also to offer. And look at what he did. He went and picked the best. The fat and the firstborn. Because that was the instruction of the offerings. Give your best to who? Give your best to God. And the Bible says, and the one that Abel gave to him, God looked at it with favor. He accepted it. When you give your best to God, you receive favor from God. Oh, you missed that again. I say when you give your best to God, when you give your best sacrifice to God, when you offer that which pleases God, you receive favor from God. Because God looked at that sacrifice with favor. There is a worship. There is a sacrifice. There is a giving. There is something that you can do and it touches the heart of God. You come and appear before him and you say, what is this that I have? It belongs to you and therefore if I give you the best, everything else still belongs to you. And if you demand of it, I will bring it to you. Because you are God. Let me tell you, some of us we try to hide and keep things because we think it is out of our labor that we have those things. But I wish you understood that one day of God's favor is more than a thousand years of human labor. You can do everything you want to accumulate whether it's wealth and everything that you have. But let me tell you, child of God, when the time of God's favor comes, that labor and the effort and the pain and everything that you have gone through, it is going to be counted to be useless because the favor of God is going to change everything around. So the Bible says, and God looked at Abel's sacrifice with favor and he accepted it. And he says... There is a sacrifice that has touched my heart. Quite often I like giving the example of uh, this woman who had the issue of blood. The Bible says that there came a time when Jesus was walking. And this woman had spent everything. The Bible says he had gone to the physicians, he had run out of money. But when he heard Jesus was coming, she decided to break every law that you can think of. Because she wanted to touch Jesus. And the disciples, when Jesus said, somebody has touched me. <laughs> the disciples said, there are so many people around you who are touching you. What are you saying someone has touched you? And Jesus said, no, someone has touched me. And the disciples were, Jesus, we don't understand this. There are multitudes here. There are people here who are pressing and, and pushing in these crowds. What do you mean someone has touched you? 
And he says, someone has touched you because I can feel that virtue has flown out of me. The Bible says, Jesus stopped. Why am I giving this example? It's because I want you to know it is not every worship, it's not every raising of hand, it's not every giving, it's not every crowd that is pressing to touch Jesus that can make Jesus stop. There is one touch that the Bible says, someone has touched me. Someone has touched me. Why? Because power has gone out of me. I can feel it. Something special has happened. I can tell you it is not the same. It is not the same dancing. Not the same shouting. It's not the same giving. Something special has happened with this multitude. And I want to know who touched me. I want to stop all my missions because I know someone has touched me. I say someone has touched me. So here comes two brothers. Here comes two brothers. And they give to God. And he says, one has received favor. Why? Because he did not look at the circumstances, but he looked at God. We do not give just because we have plenty. We give because it belongs to him. He said he needs it. He needs it. He needs it. But the Bible says, and the one for Cain, he did not look it with favor. And then Cain became what? Angry. He became mad. With God. I don't know why. He became angry. And then he comes. <clears throat> comes to Cain and asks him. Why. Is your countenance fallen? Why are you sad? Why are you? Do you think he doesn't know? Do you think that you don't know that you haven't given God the best? You know. We don't know, but you know. And God knows, right? So the same God comes to you and says, Why are you sad? Why are you f- your countenance fallen? As, as though you don't know. The people around you, I know they don't know. But you and God does what? You know. Why is your countenance fallen? What does the Bible say? Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? I'm reading verse 6. Why is your face downcast? Verse 7, very important. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. If you do what is right, I mean, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Meaning, you know what you need to do to receive favor from God, right? 
And that verse can also mean this. Let me stretch my imagination a little bit. That verse can also mean this. I am giving you another opportunity to do what is right. Hallelujah to God. Because God is a God of a second chance. He always gives us opportunities to do what is right. So he says, why are you so angry? Why are you mad? If you do what is right, you know what you need to do for you to be accepted. So don't be so angry and mad and don't be so, you know, so sudden and everything. Just do what is right. Because if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. Ooh, I know someone is hearing God speaking to them. Amen. Hallelujah. So God is giving Cain another opportunity to do what is right for the purpose of offering a sacrifice. Then, because he has conceived to do something that is not acceptable before God, and he offered a sacrifice that is wrong. Number two, he has become angry and sad and mad. Now he's trying to conspire to kill his brother. Let me tell you, once you start sinning and fail to repent, it becomes a perpetual sin. It becomes one after another. When you are caught in sin and you don't repent, child of God, it is an avenue for the enemy to take control of your life. Something that is started with just hiding something from God, it has, it has given birth to what? To anger? Now it has given birth to conspiracy of killing your own brother. And he's saying, let's go to the field. Who rejected Cain's sacrifice? Guys, talk to me. Who rejected Cain's sacrifice? Now, why does he want to kill his brother? Jealous. Because his sacrifice of the brother has been accepted. Is in that what we do in the house of God? Because someone else's sacrifice has been accepted, so we become angry instead of doing what is right to present our sacrifice to God. So you have become jealous of your own brother. You want to kill him. Says, let's do this. The Bible says, and now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to him, where is your brother? He killed him. Do you know what that means? Do you know why he's saying that, let's go to the field? Let me stretch my imagination again. What he's trying to say that <clears throat> I will take you to where nobody's watching. When nobody can see that I'm the one that is destroying your reputation, when nobody is, knows that I'm the one that is pulling you down, I will take you to the field. Let's go. 
away from everybody else. God have mercy on us. He says, let's go to the field. So they go. The Bible says, and he struck him, attacked him, and killed him. many of us have killed our own brothers it might not be literally killing them but how many of us have shed the innocent blood of our brothers simply because of jealous and being angry how many of us saying where is your brother <clears throat> Alright, so God is after Cain again. He came the first time. Where, where are you so angry? Now he's again. I'm not leaving you. Where is your brother? Does Cain know where the brother is? Does Cain know where the brother is? Look at the answer he gives. Now, this guy has allowed evil to control his own life. Like since that first time he failed to give a sacrifice, after that it is all evil. He's lying, he's actually, he's angry, he's jealous, he's everything. He's saying, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Because he opened himself to, for evil to rule his life. Child of God, do you know this? If believers learned how to confess their sins, there will be, a, there will be fewer sins in the church to repent. Aha, uh-huh, I know you heard that. But because we know something is coming, but we don't confess it either to one another or to God until we are overtaken by that. And after that, we try to look for ways of covering it. Amen. You go try it this week or in the next two weeks. When some evil thought comes to your mind, confess it. Take it to God in prayer, right? Trust me, there will be fewer sins to repent if believers learn how to confess their sins. But we wait until we are in. And now we try to look for ways of coming out, right? We want to cover evil with evil. A lie with another lie. Thinking we can get away. But the eyes of the Lord are watching. Hallelujah. He knows everything. He sees it. Guess what the Lord says? Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? I don't know. He replied, Am I my brother's keeper? So the question is, where is your? Where is your brother? Let me stretch the imagination again. It is our Christian responsibility to carry one another's burden. For by so doing, we fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1 to 2. 
If you have ever read that passage, it's very powerful. <clears throat> I know it wasn't part of the reading, but simply because you came, let me give it to you for free. This is a benefit for showing up today. Are you there with me? <clears throat> Chapter 6. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Verse 2. Carry one another's burdens, and by so doing, you fulfill the law of Christ. Where is your... Where is that brother that used to come to this church that is no longer here? Where is that sister that has been caught up in sin and backslidden? And do you know what we do as believers? We kill them all. That is what is called the killing and the shedding of the innocent blood. <clears throat> that evil talk, that beautiful gossip that you think is a testimony, it is what the Lord is saying. Where is your? When is the last time you reached out to somebody who was hurting, who was really in pain and wanted to restore them with the spirit of gentleness? When did you realize that your brother is hurting and he needs to be restored back to the house of God? Today I came with this simple question to you. You can forget anything and everything I'll say today. Please answer this question for me. Where is... Could it be... This is my prayer. That you and me would not be the reason why our brothers and sisters will not come to church. Did you hear that? I pray that you and me will not be the reasons why people will never want to belong to Nehemiah Community Church. It might have been a challenge in the past, but I want you to put it as a prayer item and ask God, help me that I may not be a stumbling block to that brother that wants to access you. Help me, God. Because we, either through what we say, we do, we have become killers of our brothers. Destroy them spiritually. But he's saying, where is your? And you know it. You know what the answer most people give? Those are adults, right? They can choose whether to come or not. Aha, uh -huh, you're, you're looking at me like you don't know what I'm saying. Amen. Isn't that how we say it? Yeah, those are adults. They will. But you know, we have a responsibility as a church and a believers to make sure that we restore our brothers with the spirit of gentleness. Follow-up ministry is so key. Of course, there are some of them that we have to babysit a little bit so that they can grow. Amen. Church is delicate. Amen. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why some of us behave like babies, right? Some of us, you know, we have to babysit them. Just handle them with a lot of care. Hello, sir. You know that is true, right? Yeah. Amen. So that, because there are many times that I have, for the 15 years that I've been preaching, that I've gotten to a point whereby some people are like, Pastor, he just let him go. 
But I'm like, what if God had let me go? The many times that I've fallen, I've gone astray, and he has welcomed me home. What if he had said, I am tired with you? Where would I be today? Hallelujah. He will become honest with ourselves and realize that God has been so patient with us. We can learn to be patient with one another. To restore them with the spirit of gentleness. So the question I have for you, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? This is what the Bible says. Verse 10. And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What have you done? Your brother's blood cries to me up from the ground. Innocent blood cries up to God. I can hear the voice of that innocent blood that we have shed crying up to me, says the Lord Almighty. Even if you try to hide it and lie and say anything and everything, this is what the Lord is saying. I can hear. And Abel is a, a symbol and a sign. A shepherd of the flock. A representation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one that we, you and me, I've taken back to the cross again and again because of our deeds. But he's saying the blood that has been shed, it is crying up to me. You can hide, you can lie about it, but I can hear the voice. Because that blood speaks better things. Yes, the blood of Abel was shed. But the New Testament says the blood of Jesus Christ it is the one that speaks better things than the blood of, of Abel. And if we have to conquer and overcome the challenges that we face, we have to acknowledge and realize that there is a blood of Jesus Christ that has to redeem us and bring us to him. The blood of Jesus Christ. The one that was shed on the cross. The one that the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. It is the blood which is an assurance of protection, child of God. If we are going to overcome, we have to accept to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. No wonder the singer sang and said, what can wash me again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood. This is the blood that was shed on the cross. When he cried and said, it is finished. Oh, it's finished. 
It is the same blood that was symbolized in the Old Testament when the Bible says, when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, the Bible says, and God spoke to Moses and said, go and slaughter the animals. And take that blood, smear it on the doorposts. So that when the angel of destruction comes, he will see the blood and pass over. Let me tell you, I pray today that the blood of the Lamb of God, the one that was slain for you and me, shall cover you and protect you so that when any destruction comes, so that when any evil comes, you will see the blood and pass over. Because you are under the protection of the Almighty God. I say you are under the protection of the Almighty God. The blood speaks. The blood has a voice. The blood is the one that speaks better things. I can give you another, ex- another example in the Old Testament. When the spies went to spy the land, they were being pursued by the natives. They came to this prostitute's house. The Bible says, That the prostitute decided to hide them. And then it was, she was going to let them through the, the window as they escaped. But then she asked them, give me a sign that when you come into the city, <clears throat> you will spare me and my household. Follow this thought. What does the Bible say? Bible says that this will be the sign. They agreed that you are going to have a red piece of cloth and tied on the window so that when we come in and see that red piece of cloth, we will spare your household. The blood protects. You are under the protection of God. I said, you are under the protection of God. I don't know if it's that excitement of a preacher when you're on the pulpit, but I can tell you the power of God is all over this place. I can tell you the power of God is all over this place. Let's rise up in the presence of God. The power of God is... Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. It's such a privilege to know this. That if we do what is right, we'll be accepted by God. He is calling on all of us. No, not even one left out to repent to him. Whether it's your own sins, the sins of the church, and your family. He's calling all of us to tell God, give us another chance. Give us another chance. So that when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice to you, it shall be acceptable to you. 
So that when we present our gifts, when we present our giving today, so that our tithes and offerings shall not be just as a, a routine, but it shall be a sacrifice to you, God, that is going to be acceptable. Not because so and so will see it, but because the one that sees secretly is going to reward you openly. Hallelujah to God.